Hello, hello, hello. If uh, if it looks like I'm wearing the exact same outfit that I was wearing uh, for yesterday's Birding Questions uh, podcast, um, you can either interpret it as this was pre-recorded today, which is yesterday at time of broadcast, or I just have a small clothes budget. Either way, it's good to be with you. And uh, in another episode of Taking the Stand, uh, joined by Sarah Gon from the Institute of Race Relations, where we will continue unpacking this notion of the rule of law, continuing this multi-party series. I mean, this series has almost been going as long as the Zondo Commission, it feels, but I do think other than the Zondo Commission, we are actually doing things that might be useful. So with that out of the way, um, Sora, thank you very, very much for joining us. And let's jump in yeah. immediately. So the rule of law, Lord Bingham in his work, in his, in his lecture and seminal work, the rule of law identifies these eight points. And to sum them up, we've gone through accessibility, uh, discretion, equality, exercise of power, human rights, and today we land at dispute resolution, something with which you have some legal experience um, as, a, as a, perhaps a dispute resolutioner par excellence or what? <laughs> well, certainly uh, I've exercised the, the resolution of, of disputes, uh, but par excellence, uh, <laughs> not so sure. <laughs> well, I'm sure we shall see, and I think um, uh, uh, my my suspicions will be confirmed uh, rather than rejected. So, when we say the rule of law should be about dispute resolution, the way I understand it essentially is that a problem might arise, and the law should be a solution or should offer a solution to that problem. And and that law could either be through legislative means, a piece of legislation can identify a point of tension, a point that creates dispute amongst people, a problem um, that it can then go on to solve. And the same with the courts. Firstly, do you think that is a fair way to look at this issue of dispute resolution? And then perhaps as a follow-up, where do you think we are if we look at the making of law from the legislature side on whether they are actually busy with dispute resolution as the rule of law demands of them to be? Well, in order, I think in order to create a successful democratic society, you really want the law in general to act as the basis for resolving disputes, the, both, in, both the the word of the law and the structures that are set up to enforce the law, because the alternative is usually war. Um, and if we want to live in a democracy, it's about people theoretically having uh, equal access to the law, uh, being respected before the law, irrespective of, of social class, race, or any other uh, criterion. And in this respect, South Africa, I think, is, fair, is a fairly sophisticated country. It has a fairly sophisticated legal history, and it is set up to resolve disputes between either individual parties, groups of parties, or corporations, the state, or any combination of, of, that, uh, of, of, of those. Usually what I think the problem as to whether the, the um the the government or the the government is actually achieving it is a little bit open to question in the sense that most judicial processes are under a huge amount of pressure for a variety of reasons so it can take a long time for parties 
to get a dispute before the court. Um, and in, in reality, ideally, disputes should try should be resolved between parties before they get to the point where a judge has to make a decision for the parties. So there are numerous categories of dispute resolution, and the the, the sort of the catch-all at the end is the judiciary and rulemaking by the judges. That that's that's not the ideal um, situation because essentially it takes the decision making out of the hands of the parties. There are other steps that can be that can be tried before that that uh, could lead to a much more attractive, um, um, if not amicable, sort of certainly a result that can be respected by both parties. But if all that else fails, the judicial, the judiciary, and and the law provides provides a way of resolving those disputes. Yeah, I must say it is um, this this rule of law series has been quite interesting, but sometimes a bit depressing. Uh, because on some of these points, South Africa really doesn't score all that well. And I must say, I think this might be one of the few points where South Africa can still claim a relatively good score, um, mm -hmm. where uh, even though some some surveys in recent, uh, in the last year or two have, have you know, mentioned some concerning aspects, perhaps a decline in judicial independence, we are still a country with a very high level of judicial independence where resolutions, when they are brought to court and they can go through the process, end in a, uh, a settlement that is accepted, mm. that is considered to be legitimate. And if a party still has a concern with the resolution, there's ample opportunity through higher courts and reviews to still find some form of the dispute being resolved. And I think the judiciary can, can, can really you know, receive some, some credit here, um, which, is, which might be a rare thing for think tank people to, to say, but I do think it, it is useful. A question that I am a bit concerned about is, we are now seeing the JSE, the Judicial Services Committee, that body of parliament and other, you know, mostly comprised of, of MPs, but one or two or three other components, the people responsible for appointing judges. We are now seeing that committee really starting to show some of its weaknesses amongst others. This idea that judges were pre-approved by the current Chief Justice, and that that process now has to be rerun. Do you think there is a concern we might have that the judiciary might become less about those people who can look at legal issues, factual issues, and offer a resolution to where these things bring about a dispute, and perhaps becoming more the province of either vested interests or ideological interests well in, in fact the case brought by uh, to challenge the that poor process of judicial in, of interviews for the, the judiciary particularly for the interviews for the highest court which is the constitutional court the interesting thing about that the fact that it had to go to court was not a good thing it was not a good sign it it points to um perhaps political influence uh, general bad behavior not paying enough attention to the 
judicial issues that actually management man, uh, matter and that people are being interviewed for. But on the other hand, you, you have on the one hand, on the other hand, and the other hand is that KSAC went to the highest court and the highest court agreed saying those, those, um, those interviews were essentially appalling, they are declared invalid and they must be redone. So it's 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 as it's it's that whenever South African the South African judiciary looks like it's heading off in the wrong direction, thus far there's been an ability to pull back. And the perhaps the most important thing about that independence that the judiciary has is that it's it has managed to keep the legislature, the executive in particular, far away from the decision making process that affects society. Um, as they, as society chooses to challenge the issues, it may frustrate the, the executive and the and, and the legislature. But that's that's what they're meant to be experienced. They're meant to be frustrated because they meant not to have control over that final aspect of decision making between the citizenry of the country. I must say that's one of the reasons I always had this instinctive feeling that um, the law should be conservative. Um, and the uh, and 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 the legislature should seek to be progressive and liberal. You need these two tensions so that they can ensure. Because I mean, the law is inherently, in a weird way, conservative. Because it's a question of what is the law now? What were the historical or recent historical facts that led to the law being as is now? The quest of the judge is not to change the law, but to find the law. And oftentimes that requires more a conservative approach of looking at things as they are rather than things as they might be. Of course, that's not a quite perfectly clear distinction, but I, I do like your point about the, the judiciary still being able to apply that handbrake where it needs to. Um, and in a way, this, this, this JSC matter, as you were speaking, I, I realized that um, the system worked. Um, the system, in a weird way, identified, uh, or, or the system didn't identify the problem, but there was enough room for citizens to say, we've got a problem with how the system is functioning. They took it to those people who have power over the system functioning, and the system gave them the opportunity to change it and to fix it. And that, that's a, a positive tick, surely. It's not only positive. What's particularly important is, is, is that in this particular case, it wasn't as if the... Um, the, the, the constitutional court had to deal with lower courts. It was dealing with a structure that appoints judges to its own court and found essentially the, the behavior of certain politicians on the structure, that the, the, the uh, chief justice himself uh, had behaved poorly in this regard. And it said, we're the collective that has the authority to decide this, we are going to decide it. And based on what the, the facts that were put to them and the arguments that were put to them, the citizenry won. Mm. And, 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 uh, the, and the dispute was resolved. And the dispute was resolved. And the, the Judicial Service Commission may be sort of muttering under its breath about it, but they have to do it. And that's, that's yes. a win. Yeah, mm. I I think I I must say it's it's not every day that one can think a win for the rule of law has occurred in South Africa, but I think here it has. And we were chatting just before the show and, uh, about the, the the fact that you know it's 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 not often that one can say oh, South Africa scoring well 
on, on one of these core rule of law issues. And let me put a last question to you. What a very legalese way of saying it. I put it to you. I, I, I put it to you that um, the ability of courts to resolve disputes and the ability of the law, whether it's being interpreted by the court or made by the lawmakers, hinges on the citizen's ability to trust that if they have a concern, they can bring it to that place. I think there's some reason for optimism and perhaps some reason for pessimism, perhaps ease of access is something. But do you think South Africans have that trust in thinking that when there's a dispute to be resolved, the law structures of the country might just help them to get that sort of thing? Yeah, I think by and large they do. They've also been exposed to quite an unusual extent to alternative dispute resolution. And there are various um, forms in which this takes place. It's required to take place before it goes before the judiciary. It could be children's courts or divorce courts or or even within parties may choose to mediate a matter, uh, labor matter. They're, they're, we, we have established something of a, of, a, of, a, of a history of it that makes South Africans generally willing to access these processes if they're available. But as you say, the, the, the biggest problems are usually pragmatic. They are cost. And that applies not just to the poorest of the poor, but it, it applies to people in our own position. There's not very far we can go before we are unable to afford taking the legal route. And that is probably the biggest problem. And, and we have a government that doesn't have the money to provide assistance to that many people in this regard, only, in fact, uh, the very poor. And that's why these alternative forms of dispute resolution complement the more expensive judicial process. And I think, but I think South Africans from all walks of life are quite used to seeing these institutions play a role in their society. And it may even be in the form of the tribal experience of Ndunas helping mm. with, with the advisors, helping people to make decisions within a community. So it's, it, it's one of those strengths of South African society, despite some of the problems we may go through, and probably the greatest strength is to keep the, the political classes at bay in dealing with our problems. Um, they may cause a lot of problems, but they can't, res they can't necessarily resolve them as they would wish. And that's important. Oh, excellent. No, I think it is, it's, 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 a, it's really heartening to be able to look at this and say, you know, South Africans, um, you still have, have a judiciary that functions broadly. I mean, there might be judgments we don't like, but in the main, I, I'm heartened by the fact that, you know, the rule of law might be wounded and infected in many, many cases, but in South Africa, this is something to treasure. And it's something to remember as we, yes, to, to cherish. And it's something that we must cherish. And I think something that the Freedom Advocacy Network that we here at FAN really want to communicate to people is don't give up. If there are tools of empowerment to help you resolve disputes, make use of them and join FAN. Help us to get that accessibility better, because if it's all about justice, it's all about freedom. And with this sign offline that has become FAN's calling card, join us because we are fighting for your freedom and your freedom 
is worth fighting for. Sarah, thank you so much. See you next week.